Well, I'd like you to turn with me to, uh, to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. And I want to read the first nine verses. We'll not be, um, actually not be expounding this passage, but I'll say a few introductory words about it in a minute. But uh, Isaiah 42 uh, is the great serv- one of the great servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And uh, so hear what God says about his servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirits to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray. Father, as we come... To think about the, some of the great themes of your words today, we pray your rich blessing on us as we meditate together. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, it's an amazing passage in many ways, and I, I could camp on here uh, today uh, and, and expound it. But of course, uh, it, it gives us an, an insight into kind of the councils of heaven, if you like. Here's the Lord. Speaking to his servant, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. And he's speaking about the the Christ who would be the servant who would come. But he would come into the world in order to establish justice. And and in doing so, he does so with a a wonderfully warm pastoral heart. Uh, So a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And he will, he will keep going. He will not be discouraged. He will not give up. Uh, this is the task that he's been set. And when he came, he set his face like flint, didn't he, uh, to Jerusalem. And he was going to go and suffer and die for sinners. He was the servant who came. And, and God says about this servant, if you look at verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So it speaks of his earthly ministry, uh, how the Lord Jesus rested in his Father, looked to heaven constantly, and his Father gave him the help he needed. 
I will give you, this is a key point, I will give you as a covenant for the people. So Jesus Christ is a covenant for the people. In a profound sense, uh, he is the substance of the covenant that God makes with his people. And it's there in the Old Testament, and it's there in the New Testament. And we'll say, I guess we'll say a lot more about that. But I want to, to, today, I want to begin to look at this issue of covenant uh, with you. And uh, we started last week thinking about covenant theology, and we hardly mentioned the word covenant at all, uh, because we needed to lay some groundwork. Um, it's a bit like kind of clearing your garden. You want to build a pond or something, and you start clearing the, all the all the weeds away, and you start clearing and making it, preparing the ground ready for the structure you're going to build. Uh, the danger, of course, is with a little bit DIY projects, as you start the project and then you leave it unfinished for months and years. Um, so that, there's a danger for me as we deal with this question of, of covenant theology. Um, but last week we cleared the ground a little bit um, because what I was eager to do is really to set the scene for covenant is to understand that, uh, how a relationship with God can happen, how it is possible at all. And, uh, and what we need to, to understand that, we need to get clear in our minds how different God is from us, that God is not like us. That God is creator and we are his creatures. God is self-existent and dependent on nothing. We are creatures who depend moment by moment on his uh, creative power. Uh, In him we live and move and have our being, says Paul to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Uh, And we depend on him. But the corollary to that is, of course, that he is, he is near to us. He is near to every single human being at all times. He is the creator God. And so we sketched out some of the, the characteristics uh, of, of, of our gods uh, using descriptions that we find in the New Testament, that he is spirit, that he is light, that he is love, and that he is good. And if you want to find out what I said about those things, you need to go back to the website and, and see the recording, hear the, hear the recording from last week. But in all of these things, he is infinite, he is eternal, he is unchangeable, he is our great and mighty God, he is the creator of all things. And we, we also saw that, in a sense, equally ultimate is, more than just that he is, is God, but just also that he is three persons in one God. It's not just a, an artifact tacked on to God. That he, equally ultimate, if you like, is that God is a community of persons. That he is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being, and yet three, three persons in a glorious rich fellowship of love and it's marvelous this is our God he is full of love he is he's an infinite well of love as those persons exhaustively interpenetrate each other if you're familiar with the doctrine of perichoresis um, that's what I'm talking about that uh, all of the persons 
Father is God. The Son is fully God. The, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Take away the Spirit, you have nothing left. So there's nothing, no remainder that belongs to the other persons. But he is a triune God, a fellowship of love. And he is, is perfectly content within himself. He, is, he needs nothing to be content in himself and to exist and to continue existing. On the other hand, we are creatures. Uh, he, we are made in the image of God and dependent at every moment on him for our existence. Uh, so whereas God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, we are finite, time-bound, and evidently changeable. If you're getting older, you're, you're changing. <laughs> if you're growing up, you're changing. So God is completely distinct from us, elevated in a sense far above uh, in the very nature of his being from us. So how is it possible then that we can have relationship with such a God? And the only answer to that is, is that God comes down to us. That as our confession says, he voluntarily condescends to us, to come to us. So out of his infinite love, he does so voluntarily to establish relationship with human beings. And as we noted last time, he does that in order to be our blessedness and reward. That there is rich blessing and rewards to be found in relationship to God. And remember, it's, it's important to note that we've not even talked about the problem of sin yet. This is, this is not a, the, a, the gap between us and God is not caused, the one caused by our sin, and that's a different problem. We'll come to that. But we're talking about the, the difference in being, the distance in being. How, does, how do we bridge that gap? And it can only be that God comes down to us. And the way that God comes down to us, and we began to touch on this last week, is that he establishes covenant, a covenant with us. He has a covenant relationship with us. So what I'm going to do this morning is, is actually to think with you a bit of the idea of covenant, the idea of God's covenant and the implications of it yet. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the covenant before sin uh, came into the world, the so-called covenant of works, or the covenant of life, or the covenant of creation. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about primarily about the covenant of grace. We'll touch on it at the end. But the covenant of grace, after the fall, when uh, there are various administrations of the covenant culminating in Christ. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about these in specifically yet. We'll get to that in the next two or three weeks. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is the, is the general idea of covenant and, so, and why it matters. And so, first of all, let's just say, what do we mean by covenant, by God's covenant? And there are many people who have tried to define what's, what a covenant is, and uh, there are many, and all of them are helpful in their, their own ways. Um, but the essence of a, of a covenant is that it's established between two parties. It might be 
one person and another person, or one person and a group of people, or a group of people and a group of people. <laughs> you know, a covenant is a relationship between two parties. And the elements of covenant are this, that um, firstly there are requirements that the parties have to fulfill in that relationship, obligations on each side uh, in order for that relationship to properly function. Secondly, there are promises made by each side to keep the requirements of the covenant. So you, you spell out what the requirements are and you, secondly, you promise to keep those uh, covenantal requirements. And then thirdly, there are penalties for failure to keep those promises uh, uh, and those penalties come to the, the, the failing party, if you like. So, so three things are requirements, promises, and penalties. You might be thinking, well, that's getting a bit technical. <laughs> what kind of relationship is this? It's a bit technical. We don't have technical relationships, but it's worth pausing for a minute and just reflecting on the fact that I think all relationships, all human relationships, uh, between, or relationships between rational creatures are more or less covenantal. Think about it. Take, for example, marriage. What do a man and woman do when they get married? They make promises to one another. And the husband might say something like this. Uh, Do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? And do you, in the presence of God before witnesses, promise and covenant to be her loving, faithful, and dutiful husband until God shall separate you by death? So that's just one version of the promise you might make in a wedding. And the, and the wife says a similar thing to the, to the man. And uh, both of them say, I do. So they commit themselves to keep the requirements of the promise they've just made. And, uh, and so you see, there's a promise made. There's commitment to keep the stipulations or the requirements of the, pro- of the, the covenant relationship. And of course, not, not usually mentioned... Uh, in a wedding service, but there's that understanding that failure to keep the promise could result in divorce. If, you, if a man is unfaithful to his wife, then divorce comes. So there's penalties, uh, unsaid penalties at this point. So, so marriage is covenantal, isn't it? Uh, but not just marriage. If you look at all sorts of other relationships, you'll see that they have a covenantal character to them. Uh, sometimes the covenant is spelled out explicitly in a document. Sometimes it's spoken to one another. Uh, sometimes it's unspoken, but it's, it's mutually understood. Uh, so there are unspoken commitments in a good friendship. You, know, you, when you, you, make, you make unspoken promises to be a good friend to your friends. Or between parents and children. Your parents promise to, at least promise to themselves, that they're going to care for and look after their children and provide for what they need. And uh, there's an expectation that, pa- that children will respond obediently and faithfully to their parents and, and, and do, be good children. There's a kind of covenantal character to it. Uh, or in business or commerce... Uh, you've entered into relationships and there are understandings that are, that are entered into in, in those sorts of relationships. And so we could go on. There's all kinds of relationships that we form that are, at heart, covenantal. 
uh, as we make those kind of arrangements. Now, most of the time we don't think about it, but actually that's what's going on in all our relationships. Even church membership is a, has a covenantal character to it. We're making commitments. We're making promises. And there are penalties if you don't keep those promises. So in all of those uh, human relationships, some form of covenant is being established in order for us to cooperate and simply get things done. And to do so enjoyably. We enter into joyful relationships we, we trust. And when one side fails to keep their side of the the covenant, then you have a breakdown in that relationship. So you think about marital breakdown leading to divorce, or fraught relationships between parents and children, or contractual failure in business, maybe leading to litigation, uh, and so on. So so here's the step I want you to take. If, If all our relationships with other rational human beings are essentially covenantal, Is that also true of our relationship to God? And of course it is. In fact, all of those human relationships, because we are made in the image of God, they all are modeled on this relationship that human beings have with God. That God has made mankind to relate to him. And there are promises made that God makes. There are requirements that God has for his people. And there are penalties for failure to keep those requirements on both sides. So, and, the, and you know, the Bible does use human relationships to describe his relationship to, uh, uh, to human beings. So God is described as a father to a son. Isn't he? Israel is my son, he says in Exodus chapter 6. Or, or even as a mother to a child. Or as a husband to a wife. Read the book of Jeremiah, and you, Jeremiah chapter 2, and you see the failure of the marriage relationship between Israel and God. Or master to servant, or friend with friend, or king to his people, and many, many other ways. The human relationships serve to inform us about the kind of relationship that God has with his people, and they are all covenantal. So the way that God voluntarily condescends, comes down to us, is in establishing covenant relationships with us, in order that he might communicate to us blessedness and reward. God has set requirements on human beings that we are expected to respond in the right way in this relationship and to love and trust God with those requirements. There is a promise of blessing from God. if man is willing to keep those commandments, then the blessing is ours. There are penalties, of course, for not, want, not keeping them. And to not want to keep those requirements and trust in God's promise, therefore, is a serious matter. It's rather like the threat of divorce in a failed marriage. There are penalties that are deserved for failing to keep the requirements. So I hope you're still with me uh, talking about covenants. It's quite a tricky subject, isn't it? But it's so foundational. Um, 
What I'm trying to do here is show you just how reasonable and rational it is to think about our relationship to God as a covenant. In fact, it is foundational to the whole of our lives, the way that God has made us. It is foundational. And it's contrary to how most people think about God. Actually, most people don't think about God at all. And many people who think, do think about God think, well, he's just there. But he's, he's distant from us and has nothing to do with us. But I hope you can see that if you're a human being this morning, that you're made for a relationship to God. You're made for it. That's why you exist, for his glory. And there is a covenantal relationship that you are in, like it or not, whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter. You're in that relationship with God because he has made you. And you're in it. You're in it because you're a creature. You're in it because you're made in the image of God. It doesn't matter what you believe about that. That's what the Bible tells us. So God, therefore, relates to human beings by coming down to them and entering into covenant with people. So let me now work out a number of implications of that, um, having looked at what a covenant is. number of implications. And I've got three that I want to just work through with you. Uh, the first is this, is to appreciate the kind of, first of all, to appreciate the kind of God that we're talking about. Uh, this is a God who is overflowing with love. Remember that he is love. He's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't just have love. He is love. He is a community of loving fellowship. And his goal is to have people come near him that he, they may be, he may become to them their blessedness and reward. And he is willing to do that by revealing himself. This is an aspect of his love. As he comes to us, that he comes down to us and he reveals himself to us. In other words, he shows us what he is like. He shows us what he is interested in. What he wants. What his plans are for the world creation for us. He shows us all these things. And we have it recorded for us in the pages of the Bible. That's why we should read our Bibles. And he gives of himself by imparting something of himself to people. Now, without going into details uh, at this stage, we can also we see this in those famous words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world... What did he do? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He gives of himself. Now the son is the second person of the Trinity. It's God come in flesh. And God the Father has given God the Son. God is giving of himself for our salvation. And that's that's, related to his revelation of himself. And on top of that, To help us even more, today, when someone comes to God through the Son, he gives a measure of his Holy Spirit. You see, he gives of himself. The Holy Spirit comes into a person who becomes a believer. They become a new person, a new creation in Christ. This is a God who gives of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. So God comes to us personally, and we can trust in him. 
So this is the God we're talking about, the self-giving, self-revealing God. That's the first implication of God being in covenant with us. The second implication is this. Because the relationship we have with God is a covenant relationship, actually people have rights. Have you ever thought about that? People get rights under the covenant. What kind of rights do we get? Well, let me just think for a second. Without covenant, you would have no relationship with God at all. And so you would have no rights. You would be as, as useful, uh, have as many rights as a stone or the trees or your dog or your cat or your guinea pig. Uh, you, you'd have as many rights as, as any other creature, any other created thing. But when God comes in covenant, the covenant terms grant to you rights. What kind of rights? Prayer. Freedom to approach God. Freedom to come to God and ask for what you need. If you're not in covenant with God, you have no access at all to God. Uh, We get to call God our Father. He is our Heavenly Father. And we are drawn into the family of God. So we get familial rights. We get to take refuge in him. We get to go to him and hide in him, to put our faith in him and rest in him. There's so many blessings of fellowship with God that come. We can even expect eternal life from him because we're in covenant with him. So we get rights under the covenant. Thirdly, third blessing or implication, covenant bestows on human beings uh, moral, responsible moral agency. That may sound a bit technical, but he, he gives us responsible moral agent, agency. In other words, because we are created in the image of God as rational and moral beings, that is how God treats us, as rational, moral beings. As one writer puts it, he does not treat us as irrational creatures or as blocks of wood, but he treats us as beings who are self-determined. And so God does not act coercively, making us do things we do not want to do. Rather, he comes to us in another way. He comes offering counsel. I'm quoting from another writer here. He comes offering counsel, gives warnings, calls us, invites us, all these kind of things. He comes to us non-coercively. And there is genuine freedom to respond. And when people do come to God under this covenant, they do so not under duress, but freely consenting to do so, moved by the love of God. Now, isn't that wonderful? God presents himself to us in a way that we respond to him lovingly because we see his grace and mercy. Friends, uh, now some of you may well have questions at this point. You may be hearing things that you've not heard before, not thought about before. Let me just uh, perhaps challenge possibly one of them that might be an issue for you. We have in this church a Calvinistic doctrinal position. And I know that the word Calvinistic is a bit like Marmite to some people. You know, some people hate it, some people love it. Uh, Fine, I... uh, doesn't bother me, but um, but one of the problems of adopting a Calvinistic position 
is that there is the problem of misunderstanding on both sides, those who hate it and those who love it. And it's the same problem, the same problem of misunderstanding, and, but it comes in different responses. There are those who hate the so-called five points of Calvinism because they think it means that God condemns some people and that those people have no choice in the matter. That they're made to do something and made to go to hell when they don't want to. And then on the other side, there are those who rejoice in the sovereign election of God. They see the Bible verses, they believe them with all their heart, rejoice in them, and believe, but also believe that they have no choice in the matter. And they will call themselves truly reformed, because they have the five points. And I've come across both kinds of people. Those who hate Calvinist doctrine, and those who love it but don't, don't properly understand it. They both have this problem. They both believe that people have no choice where they end up in eternity. And that's a problem. They're both wrong. Why? Because both kinds of people have failed to take into account that God operates in our history through making covenant. And because he does so, he does not act coercively in either making us respond to him when we don't want to or stopping us respond to him when we do want to. A properly reformed and Calvinistic view of the world is, to, is able to marry together the sovereignty of God in salvation and the idea of covenant that sets the terms of a fruitful and blessed relationship between God and human beings. Does that make sense? hope it does. <laughs> we have to think about it a bit more. But in conclusion, let me, let me just draw things to a close. I've spoken in general terms about God's covenant. That it speaks of the kind of love, uh, a kind of God we have who comes down to human beings to establish relationship with them and to be their blessedness and reward. It speaks of the rights and privileges that people can have in that relationship far beyond mere, being mere created objects in God's universe. We really are, as human beings, crowned with glory and honor. And it speaks of a real and living relationship where we are granted genuine freedom and moral agency to decide to do as God asks us to do. The one remaining question is, how does someone begin to experience that, the blessings of that covenant relationship today? And you remember back to the passage that we read earlier from Isaiah 42. The passage that promised that there was a servant who would come, none other than Jesus Christ, and, and he says in verse 6, I will give you the servant as a covenant. I'll say more about this in coming weeks, but for now, please realize that to receive the blessings of this covenant, you need to begin by coming to the servant who is the covenant, Jesus Christ. And you enter into the blessedness and reward of God through Jesus Christ. If you find him, you will find all that you need in God.
Father, we thank you for your blessed, blessedness and goodness to us. Thank you that your love is such that you come down to your created people. And your arms are open wide to all of them to offer to them the blessedness of covenant relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray today that if there are any who do not know you and are not or uncertain, that they would come to certainty as they come to Jesus. So here are prayers we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.